What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey everyone, I just want to give you a quick heads up that my new book, The Business of Belonging, How to Make Community Your Competitive Advantage, is now available anywhere where you can buy books on Amazon and any bookstore. It is the complete collection of everything I've learned from the last 13 years and how to build community for your business and all of the frameworks and models that the CMX team has developed to teach businesses how to do this work. It's all in here. I really appreciate all your support. You can go and order it now. Today's interview is with Lauren Haggerty, who's the Director of Marketing and Community at Power to Fly, a network and community that's helping people from marginalized groups grow and advance in their career. Lauren's an experienced community professional and marketer who has a lot of experience with virtual events way before COVID even started. So a lot of companies started doing virtual events because of COVID, but Lauren and her team were doing virtual events way before and learned a lot about how to make your virtual events successful, how to scale up your community programs as they're running a whole lot of events every month. We talk about how to build diverse and inclusive communities. And she also shares a little bit about how she's grown her team. She's an amazing community professional that we all have a lot to learn from. Let's dive in. Lauren, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Of course, we've had you come and share your wisdom at a number of CMX events in the past. And I think this is the first time that you and I will get to sit down and just geek out on community together for a while. I know. I'm so excited. This is going to be great. There's so much to cover. So (laughs) I know. Never enough time. Well, why don't we just kick off for those who don't know you? Can you share a little bit about your background and the kind of work that Power to Fly is doing today? Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, my name is Lauren Haggerty. I'm the Director of Marketing and Community at Power to Fly. And for those of you who don't know who Power to Fly is, Power to Fly's mission is to fast track economic equality by upskilling and connecting underrepresented talent to roles in highly visible sectors. So really, when I talk about Power to Fly, I really talk about us in two buckets. And in one bucket, we help underrepresented people from across the globe really level up their careers, be it through new jobs, through making introductions to hiring managers, helping them upskill, or by providing programming that suits the season of their career that they might be in right now. So in the other bucket, we also help companies become more diverse, equitable, and inclusive. And that's done through a variety of different products like dedicated sourcing, training, mentorship, and of course, access to our job board. So as the director of marketing and community, I'm really responsible for the growth, both of our job seeker community and the expansion of our employer communities, both which are extremely important to ensuring the business is successful And before that, I led social media and community efforts for the industry-leading home automation platform, Wink. And we were actually one of the first smart home hubs that connected to Alexa. So, you know, Alexa turned my lights on. That was us. And I led the community efforts there. Very cool. What does the community team look like at Power to Fly beyond you right now? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm excited to say that we're in hyper growth mode, which is exciting. So, you know, I lead the team, but we have a summit vertical, which is growing our summit product. And that's our, one of our like largest scale events with a few members under that team. We have our virtual community events vertical and we're growing that out right now. And then essentially our community partnerships vertical too. So that's kind of three direct community verticals in my team. Of course, we have content and and video production and, and whatnot. But as far as community goes, it's one of the fastest growing sectors of our company right now, which is really cool. How big is your company? So we just hit our 100th employee last week, oh, wow. I believe. Muddled so up. yeah, it's growing very quickly. That's awesome. So it's interesting because so much of what Power to Fly does is very community centric. It's it's serving underrepresented groups. It's connecting them with each other, creating more opportunities for them. So 
I'm curious, how do you define community within the company? What's like community proper, like owned by the community team versus outside of that realm, while the whole product is essentially still community centric? That's an interesting kind of definition of a question, because I think it really stems into the confusion that a lot of people have with big C community as, you know, a vertical within an organization, you know, how do you define that right. when community is such an important piece of most businesses, truthfully? But at Power to Fly, you know, like I said, I think there are two really defining pieces of what we call community. And it's our, you know, the companies that we work with, you know, that's one very separate community. And then it's the job seeker talent community that's really looking to upskill and grow. And when we talk about, you know, what does that mean? It's the people at the end of the day, it's the people we serve. So, you know, when I, like I said, when I talk about community at Power to Fly, I always talk about us in two buckets because, you know, while one bucket is always filling the other bucket and, but at the same time, there's always water in both buckets. So, you know, when, Companies are defining you know, what community means to them. I think it's like figuring out how much water you need in each bucket and figuring out how to fill each one so they're not overflowing or not completely empty, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So are the people on your team all focused on community growth? Because I know your role is community and marketing. And so those come hand in hand for you. Is that kind of everyone on the community team's primary objective is growth? Yeah, it's definitely growth, but also you know, as a leadership team at Power to Fly and as a company, I think it's great that we have very, our goals as a company are are pretty unified. So we align on those at the end of every year for what our, you know, big goals are going to be for the, the year coming up. And again, still being a startup, you know, we have board members and investors that we need to report to. So I kind of like take the trickle down approach. So if we have these big goals or trickle down is actually probably a bad way to phrase it. It's more aligned with Google's like OKR methods. You know, we have these big objectives that the whole company is um, responsible for. You know, how can we as marketing and we as community, you know, what are the key results that we need to achieve? And I kind of empower our middle managers and then essentially individual contributors to kind of build that up from their perspectives as well. So if our goal is to get 200,000 new emails this year, then what can community do to grow the number of emails from last year to this year, up 200% or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. So I think that the community field or vertical plays just an integral role and in not just expansion, but in our case, you know, we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. So how do we ensure that our community is also driving forth those goals? And, you know, we're really practicing what we preach in being an inclusive organization. So I think it's more than just growth. There are so many metrics that you can track and that community does touch, just depends on what, you know, the greater organization's goals are. Mm -hmm. Right. I already have like a hundred more follow-up questions. (laughs) So those are the kinds of actual metrics that you'll be tracking from community. It's like, there's a organization-wide goal on we need to grow our email subscriber list by X amount and community and marketing and product and everyone kind of lays out how they're going to help achieve that goal. Exactly. And of course, you know, when you work on this kind of OKR method from the top down or bottom up, however you think about it, there are absolutely position-focused goals too that directly correlate to whatever that you know, person does. So, you know, our community, our head of our chat and learn program, you know, she's directly responsible for the average RSVP rate. You know, that's something that she owns, but I mean, I guess in a silo that wouldn't level up into our, our greater company goals. But when we talk about that is our chat and learn program drives a third of our new emails, then of course, RSVP percentage is important. So tangentially, you know, we try and make goals for, or I try and make goals for the members of my team that make sense in relation to the growth of the company. Yeah. Yeah. We do the same thing at CMX. We use OKRs. And so we'll have team-wide 
objectives and key results for the entire community team. And those roll back into what the business-wide goal is, as well as specific kind of community objectives that I've set. And then everyone can set essentially their own OKRs for the the programs that they own and that they run that roll up into the team-wide objectives that rolls up into the business-wide objectives. Exactly. I think that's the easiest way to do it and most effective. Do your teammates make their own OKRs or do you assign them to them? So we kind of work hand in hand. Usually I provide a framework. So like I said, the leadership team decides these are the goals that we are as a company going to achieve this year. And then usually it's a conversation and we do a lot of career mapping and 360 reviews. So it's always a conversation and I am empowering my team to really examine the work that they've done and grow into different pieces of the business and the organization that they're interested in. Right. So if someone was interested in, you know, growing more B2B leads or, you know, working on that employer side, then we'll talk together and try and find, you know, an OKR that fits that piece of the pie too. So it really is, it's a team effort, both one-on-one with your manager and then of course with the greater team. Hmm. Yeah. I'm curious how you're handling career mapping. It's something I've been working a lot on and especially in community, which the career path hasn't quite been fully defined yet because it's still such a new industry. How have you gone about structuring career planning, career mapping for your team? So, I mean, again, this, it's never perfect in a startup. You're always learning and growing and figuring out what works. Oh, really? All my systems are perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, in a dream maybe, but I think something that's been the most beneficial in my career and you know with the community field being still so new and still you know working out what that career path looks like, I think it's a lot of, you know, giving people room and space to grow. So, you know, we do in June, we do like a midway through year review where we talk about the specific tasks that a person was assigned at the end of last year. And, you know, of course, look at the OKRs, how close are we to achieving them yearly? And we look at them on a monthly basis. And then, you know, but a a larger portion of that conversation is, you know, what do you enjoy that you're doing right now? And what do you not enjoy? And how can we use those things that you enjoy and develop programs within the organization that align those with the goals that we're trying to achieve. So, you know, I think that's also a beautiful part about working at a startup because you do have this level of innovation. And at Power to Fly, we really work in what I kind of call the three-prong approach. So, you know, we want to, one, always be, you know, improving the products that we already have, the products and services. Um, We want to be thinking about you know how to better serve our clients and three how do we innovate on new products and services so those are kind of three things that we focus on during these conversations and then again like what do you enjoy doing and how do we map those to the greater results so yeah it's there's a lot of opportunity in a small company like power to fly and that we're you know, not so small now, I guess, in comparison, but we want to provide opportunities for our our internal members to do the things that really drive them. And when you're passionate and enjoy what you're doing, then ultimately the results are going to be better. Yeah. So Agreed. Yeah. It's always an interesting balance to strike of wanting to make sure it's something they enjoy, needing to make sure it's something that is driving impact for the business, and also finding that line of it's new and challenging enough that it it is helping them grow, but not so much that they're overwhelmed. Because some, sometimes they might not enjoy a thing because they're not good at it yet. And it's like knowing where that line is as a manager to challenge them to learn and grow and align it with you know what you think they enjoy or what their values are. It's sometimes difficult to find that balance. Yeah. And I, you know, something that's super interesting about the community world is, you know, in my opinion, this is one of the spaces where I think having a wide variety of transferable skills can be utilized to its fullest potential. You know, whether you have a background in sales, customer success, marketing, 
social media, event planning. You know, there are so many nuances to being a successful community builder on top of this just high level of emotional intelligence and yeah. ability to communicate with people. Yeah. You you really can come from any industry, from any part of an organization and thrive here because yeah. so many roles require such vast experience in multiple different, I keep saying verticals, but like sectors. Right. I think that's what makes community so exciting is that really the transferable skills make you a fantastic candidate at any company. Yeah. Yeah. Community professionals still are generalists. I I do think it's starting to, and it will get more specialized as community teams mature. And we're starting to see like community operations become a role and someone who's, you know, potentially running scaled programs versus doing the day-to-day engagement in the community. Right now, it's common that one person is doing all of those things for a program, but I think it's starting to get a little more specialized and allow people to be on a community team and be really successful at it without necessarily needing to be able to wear 15 different hats, maybe just wear three hats. I totally agree with that. And I think that goes back to our conversation about community career progressions. Right. You know, once we're able to get these really established roles into place, and once it does become more specialized, then we can really diversify what that looks like. And that's kind of where I'm at right now with my team. You know, we had a lot of generalists that were able to create things and kind of find their niches, which has allowed us to really create three verticals for community, which is incredible. You know, I was the only community hire for two years. And I was doing community and marketing. I was the only marketing person. So it's crazy. It's it's a lot of growth. Just give it to the community (laughs) manager. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Those are definitely some of my early roles as well. (laughs) So I'd love to dive into maybe one or two of the programs that you're running to give everyone a little more context and texture of what does community actually look like. Maybe the we could start with the virtual chat and learn program, which you launched in 2018. It's all, and I think it's all virtual events. Is that right? Yes, it's all virtual events. It was always virtual events, even before COVID. Yeah, yeah. Y- you were rare in not having to figure it out when COVID came around. Yeah, it's a blessing and a curse because it was such an established program. And then, you know, we got everyone went virtual and then we were competing with everyone. Yeah. Now you're like, come on. (laughs) Yeah. Right. We were doing the virtual thing and now everyone's doing it. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, we never faltered with the programming. We never steered away from what worked for that program because it's really the core of what we offer. Mm. And that didn't change after COVID happened, which was amazing. And it hasn't changed today. And I don't imagine it changing when we go back to quote unquote normal. Right. I would love to if you could just kind of explain what that program is. I know you grew it to now it's hundreds of events per quarter and it started with just like one a month, I think. And so would love to hear just what that program is and, and how you grew it. Absolutely. So the virtual chat and learn program really stemmed from not having a space where women who weren't considered keynote speakers, but still had really interesting stories, perspectives, career journeys, really just an interesting story to tell. It was to give them a place to share what they were working on, what they were passionate about, and essentially bring in bring in our community to live and learn and ask questions of these thought leaders and provide a an intimate safe space to have these real conversations. Right. So, like you said, you know, we started with a couple conversations a month that were I don't know, we had maybe 5 people in attendance and it was, you know, really a, a struggle to get off the ground and and find people to come talk. And like you said, today we have just, I can't even believe the speakers that we have coming in to share their stories, but it's still with that same, you know, end goal. How do I come be my authentic self in front of an intimate group of diverse perspectives 
and answer the tough questions that Forbes isn't going to ask me during my, mm-hmm. you know, my <laughs> 50 under 50 um, interview. So it's to this day, the core program that it was in 2018. It's the safe space for our community to talk to thought leaders. And I don't think that will ever change. Do you cap the amount of people who can attend each event? No, we don't cap it, which, you know, I guess in my my brain, I ask myself every day, like, does the intimacy, how, how important and effective is the intimacy? Because right. at a certain level, you know, one of the, the special parts of this program is, you know, when you sign up and register for the event, it's a mandatory field for you to submit a question to our speakers. Uh-huh. So not only is it mandatory to submit a question, but all of those questions then show up on the registration page. Interesting. So when you're signing up, you get to see all the questions that your peers have asked before you with the thought that people will ask new questions. But of course, when you get into the hundreds of people signing up, the same question gets asked over and over again. So right. even with that larger number of registrants, we're still able to capture that intimacy because one, a lot of people have the same questions and two, you're still giving access to this person. So a lot of times those bigger events are, you know, the CEOs, the CTOs, the really, you know, highly unaccessible to a normal person on a day-to-day basis. So Mm -hmm. I'd say most of the events still are intimate, which is exactly what we are looking for. Yeah, that's really cool. And, And so they're not recorded as well. There's no recording of the talk after. No, they actually are recorded. And that's a cool thing that's come out of COVID. Um, We're seeing almost just as many, if not more, new people coming to watch the recordings. Interesting. So that's, yeah, a cool data point that I'm, I'm trying to sort through right now with the team. You know, how do we... How do we optimize that? And how do we make sure that experience is is just as nice as the live one? Yeah. And, and people are still comfortable being vulnerable and asking and answering some of these hard questions, even if it's recorded? Absolutely. I, I will say that coming from my, my last job where the community was pretty difficult in a private setting, our community is really fabulous. And I think it stems from a place of, you know, we all feel that there have been points in our career that maybe we're not proud of or that are hard to talk about and exposing those hard parts and challenging topics help us all get stronger. And totally. so I think a lot of our speakers appreciate having that space and are completely comfortable, you know, letting that be out into the ether because the people who are coming to Power to Fly are looking for that advice and they're not here to shame anyone, which is super important as someone who's leading community. (laughs) Yeah. It's the fundamentals of uh, letting, getting people to be vulnerable is no, no shaming, no public shaming. That's cool. And are you running these events? Your team is running the events or do you also do the community members self-organize events as well? Yeah, we just started having community members self-organize events, which is really exciting. And in my opinion, that is the number one path to growth from here. Yeah. And my team jokes a lot because I think I say this at least like 10 times a week, but my motto is work smarter, not harder. So how do you optimize this program you know, without having 50 virtual event, virtual chat and learn community organizers internally? Of course, you know, you have your community who is part of these, who are part of these underrepresented groups and of these diverse communities, have them lead and start communities of their own. And we're still figuring that out and determining what that looks like. But like I said, in my opinion, that's, that is the future. How do you self-organize and make that just as important and the same seamless experience as what we've created internally? Mm. How are you going about that? How can you ensure that the experience is still going to be high quality? So right now it's an application process and we are really looking for community members who demonstrate the core values that we have at Power to Fly and that are important to us. So, you know, once we go through the application process, uh, we actually devote a significant portion of time in training these community members. So training them on who Power to Fly is and our mission, 
and ultimately how to be the best event organizer. And these are some of the benefits of working with Power to Fly. We teach them how to do a job seeker term, but a, a Boolean search on Power to Fly so you can find jobs for your community. Now, again, it all goes back to our mission at Power to Fly, which is to really help underrepresented talent achieve the lifestyle that they are striving for. So that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So when we're looking for community members to help put our mission out there, we want to make sure that we're giving them all of the tools and all of the resources that not only they can be successful and reach those those goals, but then share that word with their communities. And then right. again, work smarter, not harder. Use yes. that to scale and, and grow. Are you doing those trainings live or is that like pre-recorded videos? We're doing pre-recorded videos right now. So, and again, it's something we're kind of testing. And the last thing we want to do is give people more work and have them spend more time on a computer when we're already so busy. But we do feel and the feedback that we've gotten thus far is that the trainings that we're providing are super effective. That's great. And one thing that we have changed probably over the last six months is we went from doing like 45 minute to an hour long trainings to actually 10 minute bite-sized snippets. So we've always thought that this idea of nano content was super interesting. So we broke all of our trainings into like nano snippets. uh, And that's been awesome. People's attention spans are dwindling by the minute these days. So that makes a lot of sense. What platform are you using to host the events? The events themselves, we are hosting actually dually on Bevy. We also have our own virtual events platform that we've built. So we're kind of doing a cross collaboration there and kind of figuring out what platform works best for us. That's cool. I'm curious why why having two different platforms that you built and, and Bevy? If I'm being honest, I think (laughs) I joke about this a lot with people who are new to Power to Fly. I've never worked at a company that has the ability to build absolutely everything that you could ever desire. That sounds unreal. (laughs) Yes. So we have a very high standard and we want what we want. And a lot of times, like, platforms and programs that are, you know, out there and in their entirety don't necessarily have some of what we would call our must-have features. And that's right. to no fault of them because, you know, there are standards in these industries and we're we're kind of just kind of r- scratching the surface of totally. the virtual event platform world. So, you know, some things that we might not need but are so core to some other companies like for example a registration page you know we've built a registration page we don't we don't need support building that right but for companies that don't have access to that then that's a, a huge feature that they need so right. you know we just have very must haves that i think out of the box platforms definitely don't have so we work in a combination because there's other things that we can't do and we're real about that that makes a lot of sense i mean Something I've talked about with communities specifically in that they are front facing, they are consumer facing or, or member facing. And a huge part of building successful communities is making it feel really unique and creating a unique identity and experience around it. And so I think that's a challenge for most community platforms in that it's an out of the box solution. So it can only be so unique, right? Like you'll see so many of the same, I can look at a community and I'll tell you what platform it's being hosted on pretty quickly um, because they, you know, there's only so much you can do to customize. And so finding that balance of what do you build versus what do you buy and, and, and to what extent that really specific use case, that really specific experience is important for your community is a, a balance that I think every business has to strike. Exactly. And I don't think there's any harm in doubling up on different tools and and platforms. I mean, we have this beautiful, you know, conference platform that we've created, but at the same time, we still use GatherRound as our icebreaker because it's so perfect. Yeah. And, you know, we're not going to build that. That's has nothing to do with our business. We're not, you know, virtual networking platform in the same capacity. 
Right. So I think what's great about this space and where I see us going, it's how do we make all of these different tools work together in a way that, to your point, makes your experience for your community unique. And mm. that's how you're going to stand out. I'm curious what you've learned having you know, been in the virtual event world for a while before COVID. And then, as you mentioned, having a lot of new organizations all start doing virtual events. How have you stood out? What have you done to make your virtual events really unique? Oh, that is such a good question. I think number one, we've never strayed from the core of Power to Fly. And truthfully, our events have not changed either. So I mean, let's do an example that's not the chat and learn program that went virtual thanks to COVID. So, you know, for years we had run in-person hiring events for companies across the globe. Mm -hmm. And these were the events. This was Power to Fly's bread and butter moneymaker. There was always a virtual option. People could do virtual events, virtual hiring events, but nobody chose to do that. Most people mm -hmm. did in-person events. Right. So when we had to pivot to virtual for all of our hiring events, of course, our clients were hesitant. They didn't think we'd have the same success rate. They were worried that the engagement would be low. And ultimately, they were worried that women and underrepresented talent wouldn't want to, wouldn't see the value in coming to a virtual event and then expecting that they would get hired from it. Because again, it seems like your average webinar or you know, what a virtual networking event, like right. whatever you want to call it. We stayed true to who we are and did not change anything. And something that I stressed to my team and that I've always stressed in the virtual event hosting process is try and make that virtual experience as similar to the in-person one as humanly possible. Hmm. And that's what we did. We down to the swag and the gift cards and the way that questions were asked of our panelists for these hiring events, we made them almost identical just in a virtual format. Well, so you're shipping swag to people for the event. <laughs> yes, exactly. We were shipping swag to people. We were buying lunches, buying coffee, whatever that looked like. And and every client that we work with is different. So some events look more like your average webinar than another. However, again, at the end of the day, because this is virtual, we're able to reach a wider target of candidates, people, job seekers, and we were able to make more hires from this event. Mm. So we were able to then kind of pivot our, our marketing strategy from this is a networking event with women leaders at Microsoft to this is a hiring event with women leaders at Microsoft. And, you know, when you join this event, you are going to get the triple check mark next to your name when the recruiter looks through the list of people who attended. You know, I RSVP'd, I asked a question, participated in the breakout room, whatever. So we drove real urgency to our community and made it very clear that just because these events are virtual doesn't mean they're any less impactful. Going back to our mission, we want to get underrepresented talent hired. We're not going to waste your time and we're not going to make you do and participate in things that aren't going to make an impact. And we've continued to do that to this day. I love that. I'm curious on the hiring goals, since that's such a huge objective for your organization is getting people hired. What have you done to be able to track that efficiently? And I'm asking a little bit selfishly because it's a big objective for us as well is to help companies hire community professionals at CMX and to help community professionals get jobs. And we know a lot of people go to the job board. We make a lot of introductions and matchmaking. We do job fairs and things like that as well. But it seems extremely hard to be able to say with confidence and have metrics behind how many people did we actually help get a job. I'm curious how you've tackled that problem. And I'm going to, you know, also caveat this answer with saying we are not perfect here either. <laughs> so, which makes it, it, you know, even more challenging <laughs> when that's, you know, you're the bread and butter of your business. So <laughs> I will say there's what we've got a ways to go there, but, you know, because it is such an important part of what we do and, you know, success, not only to us, but to our clients is tied to this. We really go to all lengths 
to find hires. And we're actually, oh gosh, this is going to be like a little (laughs) embarrassing to admit, but we're going through like a manual review of all of the clients that we've held Mm. events for ever at Power to Fly and checking names and LinkedIn's and company pages to see if these are people that we've helped them hire that have come through us. Since we have all the data, we just maybe don't have the, yep, that was them. Or maybe they came to an event in 2018 and then now just got a job in 2020. We still attribute that to Power to Fly because you came to their hiring event in whatever. And a lot of what we do is help clients passively recruit. So maybe they're not recruiting someone today, but should that role for the senior software engineer on the East Coast open two years from now, they're still looking at the talent that we've sourced for them because everyone's qualified. We've done the hard work for them. We've given them this beautiful list of candidates. Maybe they just didn't fit the two requirements that they needed today or whatever. Location-based. Remote now is a huge thing. People are hiring from the list that we've given them. Totally. So I will say that it's not an easy process, but you know, one, we have ATS integration. So that helps us and just sole manual labor and relying on the people of our community to kind of report back to us if the hiring managers and recruiters don't let us know. But saying, yeah, I, I got hired through Power to Fly, or my favorite is Someone referred me to Power to Fly, and then I signed up for this, and now I have a job. So, you know, how the community referrals actually impact a lot of our success, That's those are my favorite success stories. But it's hard. It's not easy. Yeah. I think we need better tools and systems and integrations into whatever the company is using for hiring. So it can actually be tracked and reported as like a referral or something like that. What's Power to Fly's main source of revenue? Um, so that's, we work almost solely off subscription revenue. So, and again, this all goes back to diversity, equity, and inclusion. So how do we help you diversify your organization, be it through hiring, dedicated sourcing, hiring events, equity? How do we make sure that the team you have in place is feeling supported, that Mm -hmm. you are helping your diverse employees thrive? We have a bunch of leadership training programs, mentorship programs, that we help clients build at their organization and then inclusion. So same thing. We have a plethora of different training solutions. We do a lot of employer branding for companies, the chat and learn program where we're featuring a lot of the women or underrepresented talent at these organizations, featuring the cool projects they're working on. So it's we really consider ourselves now the 360 degree diversity platform because regardless of where a company is in its DEI journey we have a tool to help you get there faster and with a community of 400,000 plus active diverse talent to support you through that so right so it's generally the, the companies are paying you for services access to the network programming things like that Precisely. Yeah, that's really cool. On that front, on DEI, you mentioned earlier, you know, some of your community team's objectives are tied to DEI as well. I'm curious, what are some specific ways that you measure your progress against DEI as a company, or what do you recommend to other companies as a way of, you know, having measurement around that work and being able to speak specifically to what you your progress and and keep yourself accountable? Absolutely. And I think this is the most important question to ask ourselves right now, because just as important as it is for us to diversify our companies, it's just as important to diversify the communities that we're building alongside our companies. Agreed. So, you know, the real work here is done in equity and making sure that the people that are you know, coming to your company and coming to your community are staying, participating and engaging in what you're creating. So for us, you know, one of the first steps thinking about what we're doing and what's moving the needle um, as far as community growth, of course, was very easily the chat and learn program. That was 
and, and still continues to be one of our, like I said, one third of the e- new emails come from our chat and learn program, but the place where we were growing the fastest. So we took a hard and fast look and made sure that we were getting diverse representation in the speakers and the people that we were asking to speak at these events. So we set numerical goals for our different subgroups or what maybe one would consider ERGs at their company. How are we making sure that these communities of underrepresented people were being represented in this program? Because again, we want our community to feel that there is always going to be programming that relates to them and that they can relate to and feel included in and participate in or share their experiences. So setting real, clear, hard and fast goals on, if you're focusing on virtual events, the diversity of your speakers. Also taking a hard and fast look at your content holistically. So how diverse are the photos that you're using in your community, your stock images, on your homepage? You know, as a marketer, I think something that that's something that really gets overlooked when you're building something new for the first time. It's like, just get it up there really quick or like, let, we need to write content for content's sake. But, you know, who's writing this content? Is it just, you know, the same three white males or white females? You know, that's not going to help you thrive or, you know, make your community feel inclusive. So to me, it's all about how do you get diverse representation and everything that you're putting out to your community and, you know, setting hard and fast metrics and goals. So you hold yourself accountable. That's how you hold yourself accountable. You or your leadership team makes a serious commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And then thinking back to the, you know, trickle down OKRs. Do you have a diversity aspect to your OKRs? If not, it's time to revisit those and add one. And that can be very niche to the person's individual role or, you know, a broader team goal. But there has to be accountability or you're never going to, you know, achieve the success metrics that we need to be inclusive. Yeah, I like that a lot. That's a great recommendation to make sure that, you know, one of your OKRs is specifically tied to that. It's not just a side element, or sometimes we'll have specific key results for each objective that is tied to DEI. So it doesn't have to be its own objective, but there can be a a measure that's tied to, you know, running a successful event or launching an online community program that we need to account for the DEI objectives in there as well. Okay, cool. Well, we are right about at the end of time, which means while I have many more questions for you, we now need to move into the rapid fire question round. This went by so fast. I, <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> they always do. They always do. But this is everyone's favorite part of the show. We're going to pick up the pace here and all the questions should have answers that are about 30 seconds or less. Lauren, are you ready? I am ready and I will right. be short. <laughs> all right. First question. Very hard one. What's your go-to pump up song right now? Mm, hands down. Remind me to forget by Kygo. Best song right. ever. <laughs> Love it. I probably know it, but I'm terrible <laughs> at names. I don't know why I asked this question because I'm so bad at names of songs, but if I hear it, I'll be like, cool. All right. Uh, while we're talking about songs, tell me about the Husky Thon. Oh my gosh. Yes. I love Husky Thon. Husky Thon is an 18 hour dance marathon at the University of Connecticut, where I went to college. I participated during all four years and was the director of special events during my, my senior year. So it's the largest student run philanthropy in Connecticut. And I am a wow. proud participant. That's awesome. Some legit community experience. Mm-hmm. There. <laughs> All right, cool. Next question. What's your favorite book to give as a gift to others? Also easy question. Uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower by Stephen oh. Chofsky. Wow, why is that your gift? Oh man, I feel like this was the most transformative book of my teenage years. And I've actually recommended it to a few of my adult friends who never read it. And I think it's just a very transparent look at someone who might be experiencing mental health uh, issues and just really eye-opening to how people get through challenging times in their life. Very cool. I'll have to check it out. Thanks. 
So you uh, graduated from college with a degree in medical laboratory science research and allied professions. How did you go from that to community? Crazy story. So first of all, I think it all stems from my love of helping people. So I won't get into the actual crazy story because I think that's coming up. But, you know, I actually specialized in genetic counseling. So that was where I spent most of my time. And it's a really niche field. But at the end of the day, genetic counselors help people understand how their genes will either inform their health decisions or their future family's health. So all I wanted to do was help people navigate that sometimes tough information. And at the end of the day, what I'm doing today is helping people in my community. So I think in a variety of different ways, the bottom line is how can I, Lauren Haggerty, help more people? So community and genetic counseling both kind of covered those things. That's awesome. Well, now I have to ask, what's the story? Oh, yes. <laughs> In as rapid fire form as possible. Rapid fire. So I told you I worked at Wink and basically within you know the first, I think, year at Wink, we had a major product recall that bricked over 5 million of our Wink hubs. Uh, in less than 24 hours. So basically the hub that controlled your lights, your locks, your garage doors, you know, the important things, uh, totally stopped working. So at the time we had no social media team, no community manager, no one who interacted with our users on that intimate level. But because I had run social media and community at Huskython, they asked if I could step in and, and try it. I'm air quoting. So basically, I stepped in mid-crisis and managed a community of 5 million extremely wow. unhappy humans. And the rest is history. It is quite a welcome into the work of community management. <laughs> but I tell myself if I could do that, I could literally yeah. do anything. <laughs> yeah. So. Beat to the fire for sure. That's really cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, what's a go-to community engagement tactic or conversation starter that you like to use in your communities or in your virtual events? What are you binging on TV right now? And selfishly, mm, it's classic. where I get all of my recommendations. Mm, that's dangerous. You end up with a, a long list of TV watching to accomplish. Long, but good. Yeah. Okay, cool. I like it. Next question. Have you ever worn socks with sandals? Socks with Crocs? Yes. Socks with, Crocs. with sandals? Never. <laughs> this is the second time this has come up. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Okay. So I, last time I said I'm counting Crocs as sandals. So socks with Crocs. That counts. Fine. Then you can sure. add me to that unfortunate <laughs> list of people. <laughs> hey, it's a fortunate list. I'm on that list. So. Okay. Who in the world of community would you most like to take for lunch? I am obsessed with Lisa Khan of Gather Round. Uh, we met at CMX in 2019, but nice. I'm dying to get back together with her. So I'm totally taking her to lunch as soon as that's possible. Love it. Well, hopefully we'll have an in-person CMX again soon. Yes. What's a community product you wish existed? So not a product per se, but if I had a magic wand, and we talked about this a little bit earlier... I would make it super easy for all products to have more custom customization. So mm. specifically a GA pixel embed. So as a marketer, if I'm not getting credit for the traffic a product is generating, it's going to be a hard sell for me to use it. So I would totally. make that happen in absolutely everything. Mm. Yeah. The ability to track all this stuff is still a huge hill to climb for a lot of community builders. Yeah. What's the weirdest community you've ever been a part of? And I, I feel like if it's not Huskython, then what's weirder than that? Shockingly, I would say the Babs of Peloton. Ooh. Yes, it what is. What are the Babs? The Babs are the broke ass bitches. I don't know if I'm allowed <laughs> to say that, but <laughs> they this call themselves the Babs. an adult podcast. You're allowed <laughs> to say anything. Yes. So... Basically, it's a group of, and not just bitches, anyone can be, we're totally inclusive, but just, you know, a place for anyone to talk and share anything. I've seen some weird stuff in there, but I also feel like these are my people in many ways. Huh. So, <laughs> And it's around Peloton? Yes. So basically- well, I'm Peloton didn't start it. No, no, no. It's a user-generated sub-community. Right. Yes. Is it like on a Facebook group or something? It is in a Facebook yeah. group, yes. Peloton's all over that Facebook group. Mm -hmm. <laughs> all right. 
<laughs> That's a good one. And last question, if you were to find yourself on your deathbed and you had to condense all of your life lessons into one Twitter-sized piece of advice to the rest of the world for how to live, what would that advice be? Everything happens for a reason, but if you work hard, it's always for the right reason. And sub advice, don't keep your jacket on when you're in the car. Your body's going to acclimate and you'll stay warmer if you put it on outside. Oh, <laughs> that's that's a good one. Very practical. That's the most practical answer to this question <laughs> I've ever gotten. I love it. I make that mistake all the time. And then you have to take your jacket off at like a traffic light. And, mm-hmm. yeah. If you're in well, New England, you cannot, there's no jackets in cars. <laughs> Don't do it. Interesting. Hmm. I grew up in New York. You'd think I would have learned it, but. See, you needed this advice earlier. <laughs> I know. Should I ask someone this question earlier? <laughs> all right. And, and lastly, where can people go to find you and continue to learn from you? Yeah. So obviously, please sign up for Power to Fly, powertofly.com, power, and then the word to, T-O, F-L-Y.com, all one word. But me specifically, Find me on LinkedIn, Lauren Haggerty. You can add me on Instagram, Lauren 8 Haggerty, or on Twitter. But really, sign up for Power to Fly. I'd love for you to be part of our community. And thank you for having me. This has been so much fun. Of course. So happy that you could join me and really appreciate you. And I mean, you all should go look up Lauren's talks at CMX in the past. Just Google Lauren Haggerty CMX Summit. And you've always been such a generous contributor to the CMX community and other community professionals. And you've paved the way for a lot of other people to be able to do this work much better and and host better virtual events. So really grateful for everything that you've done, both through Power to Fly and for the CMX community and the community industry at large. And really grateful for you coming and continuing to share your wisdom with me today on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me, David. I wouldn't be in this industry if it weren't for you and for CMX. So we've got a ways to go, but I'm excited that this is the path that we're on. So thank you for having me. And for being thrown into a (laughs) chaotic situation that you had to community manage. Yes, seriously. (laughs) Yes, that's true. (laughs) Well, hopefully you had CMX there at that point. I don't know when that was, but hopefully you had some support network around you. (laughs) That was when y'all first started. You're the reason I chose community manager as my new title. So (laughs) that's awesome. Success story. Y'all heard it here first. Yeah. Put that in your metrics. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. There we go. Check. Alrighty. Well, thanks, Lauren. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Yes, thanks. The Masters of Community is brought to you by CMX, the world's largest network of community professionals, and Bevy, the enterprise platform powering communities for the world's leading brands. This episode was edited and produced by Finesse Media. Music was provided by Seiji Cataldo, and design was provided by Virginia DeMarco. If you enjoy this episode, please drop us a review in iTunes. It's a huge help for helping us get this podcast in front of more people. We really, really appreciate it. And share it with your networks. The more people that learn about the power of community, the better. We have a new episode every week. So until then, thank you so much for listening and see you next time.